Hey, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we actually started a message series last week, uh, especially for this fall season, called Beautiful, Disappointing, Hopeful. Uh, the Christian story in these three words, and that's what we're going to be exploring. What is the Christian story, and how can it be represented in these three words? And so today, the title of the sermon is Life is Beautiful. Can you high-five your neighbor and say, Life is Beautiful? Can you do that real quick? That's right. Life is beautiful. And we've really been exploring these questions. First, the question is, is Christianity true? Because none of us, hopefully, as thoughtful New Yorkers, would want to follow a lie. But is Christianity really verifiably true or something that we can believe in and put our faith in? And second is the question, is it compelling? Is this the kind of story that I'd want to center and angle my life around, especially if it's demanding so much of me, impacting my life, my relationships, my career, and everything about me? And that's one of the things um, that we've been wrestling with. Is it meaningful? Is it purposeful? And hopefully in this sermon series, we'll be exploring that. Now, as we talk about this theme of life is beautiful, we go way back to the beginning of the Christian story that begins in the book of Genesis. Now, whether you're a Christian or you're not, you've probably heard or even heard phrases that come from this creation account in the book of Genesis. So check this out, Genesis chapter one, and look at what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God saw that the light was good. Now, here's the thing. You're gonna hear this word good time and time again in chapter one. (laughs) Notice, it appears here that it says, God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Uh, And again and again, day after day, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was? Thank you. Uh, God saw that it was? And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God saw that it was? That's right, fourth day. And guess what? Fifth day, it also says this. God saw that it was? Thank you. And God saw all that he had made, and he realized it was? Very good. It's like a proud dad who looks at what he's created and he's he's able to say, that is very good. He's almost applauding himself. And when after the sixth day, it says that God saw it and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Um, here's what Christians believe. And this is over and against in the ancient Near East as well as in the Greco-Roman world. There were different creation accounts and myths that had been posited. And in these different creation accounts and myths, many of them focused on a conflict uh, between these warring gods and then somehow out of conflict, the world was created. And yet in the Christian story, it's very different because in the Christian story, way back at the beginning, there's this belief that the way that God created the world was that God created the world to be beautiful and good. And it's out of his love and out of his, the community of the Godhead that God creates the world. Now, there are three basic ways that um, Christians have interpreted Genesis chapter one. First, there's kind of a literal approach whereby um, people believe that, yes, uh, one day was a 24-hour period by which God created the world, and it was sequential in the ways that were outlined in Genesis chapter one. Uh, Another way of viewing the creation account that Christians throughout the centuries have interpreted this passage is that, secondly, that a day is like an age to God, and so as a result, it is sequential that God creates the world in this sequential order, and but a day 
day is not a 24-hour day, but actually an age, because in other passages in Scripture, it talks about how uh, a day to the Lord is like thousands of years. And so as a result, some Christians have uh, a different view towards this creation account. Now, the third way is the way that I actually believe, and it's, uh, it's called the framework view of creation. Now, the framework view of creation sees Genesis chapter 1 as a poem. And so if you actually read in the Hebrew, one of the reasons why you see this, this poetic way that it's presented, in fact, even the kind of the recurrence of this idea, God creates this thing on a day, and then it's good, and then it's good, and then it's good, and then it's very good, it's presented like a poem. And in fact, Genesis chapter 2 is another way of explaining the creation account, uh, from another angle when it comes to the creation of Adam and Eve. And, and so Genesis chapter 1, in the framework view, Genesis 1 is a poem, and the way that it's presented is that the first three days are basically creation's kingdoms. So if you notice, uh, on the left-hand side, creation's kingdoms, day 1 is light. That's when light is created. Day 2 is sky or water. Day 3 is land and vegetation. Those are the first three days. Then... The latter three days, four through six, notice how creation this account goes. Day four is the luminaries. So what fills the light and the sky is created on day four. Day five are birds and fish that fill the skies and the water. Uh, And day six is land animals and man that fill land and vegetation. So as a result, some people say like, oh, you Christians, you don't even believe in science and whatever else. Well, actually, I, I firmly do believe in science. And yeah, Microevolution, yeah. Things change over time, absolutely. You, you believe that the earth is so short. No, no, actually, I have a view of the earth that fits with science and scientific discovery. Now, because Genesis 1 is p- presented in this poetic way. Now, here's the thing. These three different views of creation, there are things that people all agree with, and it's this. It's that God created the world ex nihilo. Ex nihilo means out of nothing that God created the world. Uh, And this is what we believe. Like some of you may say, well, I believe in the Big Bang or I believe in something that started the creation of intelligent design and matter that exists today. Well, even scientists have, have remarked that something needed to start the Big Bang. There needed to be something, hopefully outside of the material universe. And this is what Christians believe, that outside of the material universe, God, who is God, created the world ex nihilo. So that's one thing that Christians, despite whatever view they hold, they agree with. But not only that, it's also this idea that God created the world to be beautiful and good. Now again, over and against the ways that the ancient Near East, as well as the Greco-Roman world, understood creation and God's relationship to creation, this is so utterly unique. (laughs) The fact that God creates the world to be good and beautiful, that is stunning. Now, I grew up in a setting. I, last week, I shared my own personal journey of faith, how I grew up. Not, and I didn't become a Christian because I grew up going to church, but despite growing up in a church that was full of conflict. And the way that our church postured itself against the world around us was that the world was evil and going to hell. And so as a result, oftentimes, the belief that we had was that the creation of the world started at Genesis chapter 3, which is when everything goes wrong. And as a result, the world and everything in it, everything is evil and to be uh, judged and condemned around us. And yet, there's this view in the Christian view where God actually creates the world and he keeps saying, it's good, it's beautiful. Now, all of us, whether you're a Christian or you're not, you have these little moments of these experiences of God's beauty and goodness. 
So for example, when it comes to it, let me show you a picture. This is a picture of Iceland. Anyone been to Iceland? Yeah, we've got a few hands. Iceland, absolutely beautiful, cascading waterfalls. It's geothermal marvel um, with volcanic activity uh, and all sorts of incredible natural views. Um, here's another picture, picture of Tanzania. Anyone been to Tanzania? I haven't either. So, but I found this picture on the internet, and it's beautiful. Uh, where Mount Kilimanjaro is in eastern Africa. Just incredible landscape. Not only mountainous, but forced. And, and maybe some of you aren't mountain or forest people, but here's a picture of the Maldives. Anyone been to the Maldives? Neither have I. I haven't been to the Maldives either. And, I mean, a beautiful beaches and water and what lies beneath. I mean, have you ever had these moments when you are beholding something natural and your mouth just drops, and it's agape at the, the splendor of creation. You know, I imagine that very same experience that you've had is the same experience when God is like, it's good. That is beautiful. And when you've, whenever you've had those experiences, see, God created the world to be beautiful and everything in it. It's a sign, whether you're a Christian or you're not, isn't that interesting that from a Christian view, it's that God created the natural world and, and, and what's in it to be beautiful. And now that is stunning. Now here's the thing. See, because the creation account, it's a story of these natural resources that are created in Genesis chapter 1. But notice at the end of the creation account, actually um, a, a mandate is given to Adam and Eve. Check this out. Look at what it says. It said, God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, scholars have wrestled with what this means because God creates, on the sixth day, God creates man and woman. And what he does is he gives them this mandate that you are to go and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, different scholars have actually translated that phrase to fill and subdue, to create and to shape. It's to cultivate the natural resources that I've been given. So as someone who's created in God's image then, we become creators ourselves. We become a people who not only stand and say, wow, that is beautiful, that is beautiful, but we begin to be a people who begin to take the natural resources of the world and we begin to cultivate and shape it, create and shape it into something extraordinary. So if you could imagine then, what would it look like if human beings took the natural resources of Eden and created something beautiful. Here's what we get. New York City, everyone. Come on now. Let's go. That's right, the greatest city in the world. I mean, isn't that fascinating, though? We, God has given us this mandate to create something good and beautiful. Now, I realize some of you here are like, ah, oh, that's really funny. I hate this city. Uh, I'm just living here because of work. Can't wait to just get that promotion, then get out of here and move to the Poconos. I get it. But at least the good and beautiful parts of the city, it's evidence of the ingenuity that God has given to us as people created in his image to somehow cultivate and shape the world into something absolutely marvelous. See, but it's not just places and buildings 
and land that is cultivated and shaped. You see, the, the, the mandate to create and shape is to use the natural resources and to create beautiful things. Um, beautiful things like this. Yeah, <laughs> a Shake Shack burger, everyone. Born at Madison Square Park. That's right, the best burger in the world. Now, I recognize some of y'all are like in and out, in and out this, in and out that. You're from California. It's fresher. The price point. We're not talking about price point here, guys. We're talking about just pure flavor, okay? Pure flavor. I mean, here's, here's the thing about a Shake Shack burger, right? Somebody had the ingenuity to somehow create this egg bun uh, using whatever materials and ingredients and crafted in such a way that it it folds, but it stays together to capture all the juices of the burger at the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? And then to neatly, carefully choose the ingredients, the lettuce, the baby tomatoes, and then those smash burgers. Life is beautiful. God created the world to be beautiful. And somehow, well, people who have created and shaped something that we get to enjoy. And have you ever had that moment when, you, when you've eaten something and you're like, life is beautiful. Or, or maybe burgers aren't your thing. What about this? A cookie from Levain Bakery. Come on now. Anyone been there before? Uh, yes. The Upper West Side of Manhattan uh, as well as, there's a location as well. We got some West Side people in the house. <laughs> there's some locations as well in Long Island and other places, but Long Island, come on. It's not a, anyhow, but, um, but, right, I mean, the first time I had a Levain Bakery cookie, I was like, oh my goodness, why, like who, how come no one thought of this? Like the perfect texture of crispiness as well as fluffiness to, to be like kind of the muffin tops. I mean, it's amazing if you've never had one. It is one of those moments where you say, life is beautiful. God is beautiful. See, this is what happens is God, he gives us things in the world to create and shape, to cultivate. And Christian theology is not some condemning, like this is evil kind of way or world or manner, but it's actually an invitation to embrace the beauty. Like I mentioned, um, there's a part of me that grew up with this kind of negativity towards the world and everything in it, and that would end up shaping the way that I relate to people as well. My wife and I, we talked about how we grew up in very critical environments, and so as a result, enjoying things, delighting, uh, acknowledging that things are beautiful, those things were just so foreign from our upbringing. And so for us, the ability to actually stand in wonder and to thank God and to praise God for the way that God created things to be beautiful, that was so different because normally what I was taught in church was the world is going to hell and everything in it. You better get rescued from it. But God created the world to be beautiful. And those cookies are delicious. (laughs) God created the world to be beautiful. And if there's any group that should be embracing and celebrating the beauty that exists in the world, it should be us. See, but it's not only food and nature, but it's also the cultural goods that exist in the world. Here are some other images. Here's an image at the bottom left uh, is an image of La Boheme, uh, the opera at the Met Opera. Anyone seen La Boheme before? Yes, yes, Myra has and others. Um, I've never watched it either, but I hear it is amazing. (laughs) I hear it's amazing. 
and the best culture in the world exists in our city today. Here's a picture, a song uh, by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys that gets everyone's head bopping, um, Empire State of Mind, uh, as well as there's a musical, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called Alexander Hamilton. Some of you thought I was going to keep singing. Listen, I know, but here, even though I, I'm not going to keep singing, I know you wanted to. I mean, doesn't that say something about the way that music, it moves us? We're not simply a bag of molecules who, when we experience things like good food or good music, oh, well, what explains that is basically so how our brain waves and neural synapses begin to work together and in this scientific dull moment, but no. When we hear, welcome to New York from uh, Taylor Swift, maybe, sorry, maybe wrong song choice for some of you all, but when we hear music, there's something about it that moves us. And dare I say, when it moves us, it's not just we're a bag of molecules experiencing our neural synapses going haywire. Dare I say, we're experiencing something of the way that God meant for things to be about how life is beautiful. Now, some of you are like, well, I can't believe you're mentioning these non-Christian kinds of things because they're not explicitly Christian. Why didn't you mention worship songs or why didn't you mention, um, I was trying to think, what are Christian foods? Um, Potlucks, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Why didn't you, pizza, that's right. Some of you are like, pizza, that's the official food of Hope Church, NYC. Um, well, here's the thing. See, there's these theological categories, one called general revelation, and the other is called common grace. General revelation is how God has revealed himself generally to all people, whether you're Christian or you're not, and common grace, that God's heart and disposition is one of grace towards all people. Now, check this out. Look at these passages on general revelation. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Genesis 1 uh, and the days 1 through 6, they all do this. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. See, this explains the wonder and awe we feel when we stand atop Niagara Falls. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, God reveals himself to all people. You don't have to be a Christian to appreciate the general revelation of God. See, but there's also this category of common grace, that God's grace befalls all of us, whether you're Christian or you're not. So check out this passage. Uh, Psalm 136, he gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to just the Christians. No, no, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Now, general revelation and common grace are these categories that allow us to then appreciate the beauty in the world. Why? Because life is beautiful. And here's what I would contend. If you're not a Christian and you have had this moment of being in awe or in splendor, when you're in Central Park and it's the, one of the first few days of fall like today, and you're like, gosh, life is beautiful. Here's what I think you might be saying is like, this is an experience of something divine. When, when you go out to, to hang out with friends and you're eating good food and somehow the company and the food 
uh, goes on and on. And what was supposed to be like a 45-minute lunch break ends up going two to three hours. And it's just so full of life. It feels like almost time has been lost. And you say, life is beautiful. Dare I say, what you're really saying is, God, you have created a beautiful world. See, Christians have this ability, or at least a theological foundation, that's able to embrace the beauty and goodness of the world. You know what's crazy, though, right? Because like I mentioned, it's a poem, right? And it, it, it ends up going um, where God's creating in this framework way, but there's this crescendo. It crescendos into this moment. And here's the moment. It's day six, and look at what it says. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. What? Like, see, it crescendos into this moment. where Think about all the beautiful, splendorous things that I've just talked about. Iceland, Tanzania, Shake Shack Burgers. And yet, at the end of Genesis 1, it's God's proudest moment by which he would look and say, this is very good, after all that he had made. It's when he creates the one thing in the world that could bear his image. It's man and woman. Here's what the psalmist writes. Check this out about this. Psalmist writes, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. See, of all the beautiful things God has made, there's a mandate for us as human beings to care for the world around us. Now, again, some of you are like, listen, I could think of all sorts of ways that uh, people end up distorting the beauty of creation and all that. We're going to get to that in a couple weeks because remember, we're starting with beautiful. But you see, the starting place for the Christian story is one of beauty and that we are to be a people then who embrace and steward the beauty of the world around us. But we also begin to be a people who see the inherent dignity of people. We call this the Imago Dei, the image of God. People are beautiful. In fact, high five your neighbor and say, You are beautiful. Can you do that real quick? High five your other neighbor and say, You are beautiful too. right. We hopefully can be a people that actually embrace and celebrate the inherent dignity of each other. Now, there's all sorts of the ways that human beings have continued to demarcate people and treat people as less worthy. In fact, the legacy of this country is how some human beings created in God's image were treated as a fraction of a person. There are ways, I know even growing up as someone who or my parents had immigrated here, my parents had a thick accent, and they did so much, my mom and dad, to make ends meet for us. And I'm so appreciative of my father and my mother for the ways that they battled racism and toxic ways that they were treated. 
and yet me being born as a United States citizen and yet still feeling like I'm a perpetual foreigner at times? I, I mean, there's ways in which people are demeaned based on what neighborhoods they grew up in, how they look. There's ways in which human beings have this propensity to demean and diminish not only in the United States but around the world based on the complexion or the color of one's skin or what school we went to. Yankees fans hate Mets fans. No, I'm just kidding, they don't. But uh, there's all sorts of ways in which we do this. We compare and we contrast and we diminish. And, and there are ways that even perpetuate kind of thinkings of uh, like survival of the fittest, this is what we do. And only the best survive. And yet, we believe in a theology that the philosophical underpinnings of the inherent dignity and worth of people is that all people are equal and bear the image of God. Some people might say, well, if, if someone has a disability or a handicap somehow, they are less of a person. But see, a Christian theology actually embraces the inherent worth and goodness of all people. You know, I realize for myself that um, my worst decisions when I make mistakes and when I end up succumbing to whatever um, behaviors, meanness, cruelty, or a lot of it comes from my own insecurity. The insecurity when I don't feel like a dignified person, like a dignified human being. I begin to feel sorry for myself. That leads me to do whatever, make other mistakes and treat other people poorly. I begin to judge other people, all because me, I don't have a sense, a solid sense of self. Isn't it interesting? Maybe there's some of us in this room when it comes to this idea of the Imago Dei, of all the things that God has created. Did you know that you are the crown of creation? You are more important and inherently more dignified. When you think of all the creations and the creatures of the world, you are beautiful. And we as a church community, what would it look like for us in the city of New York to be a people that inherently see and honor the beauty and the value of human beings, the beauty and the value of ourselves? Now, here are some stories um, that we've been sharing on Instagram and they're just images of people in our congregation. Uh, we have an image of Chacho there. We have Matt and Howard. We have Hudson, whose story was recently told on our Instagram. Kirpa, the top right there. Colin and Morgan from our East Village Church. There's Gabrielle from our West Side Church and Molly from West Side, as well as Taylor Fagans uh, from our West Side community. Now, here's the thing. We look at these pictures and we're like, yeah, they're, they're really, really wonderful and beautiful. But if you were to read their stories, what you would notice is that their story is full of beauty and disappointment and hopefully hope. There's real and raw stories of broken relationships, mental health issues, pain and difficulty. And hopefully, one of the reasons why we want to share these stories is because in this congregation, each one of us is full of dignity, worth, a story, a humanity. You know what's so uh, beautiful about Jesus? Is that, see, Jesus comes into the world in a world that is both beautiful and disappointing. He comes into the world, and Jesus comes, and he gives, he heals people. He provides, he feeds the 5,000, which we talked about last week. 
Jesus calms the raging seas. And each time Jesus is doing this, what he's doing is he's just giving a glimpse of what it's like to restore beauty into the universe. You know what the universe is supposed to be like, the way God created it to be? It's a place where people who struggle with physical infirmities are healed. It's a place where, where, where people are hungry in the world. They are fed. It's a place where violent and torrential things happen around the world in nature, somehow marking a world that's been broken and in disarray. Jesus calms the raging seas. See, this is what Jesus has come to do. Jesus is the one who comes. And, and now here's the thing in John chapter 3, verse 16. Look at what it says. It says, for God so loved New York City that he, no, no, it just doesn't say New York City. The people at Hope Midtown and not Hope Westside or Hope Eastville. No, I'm just, but it says God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him, Whoever can see Jesus as healer, provider, the one who calms the storm, the one who's come to restore beauty and dignity to our lives and world, if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And what it means to follow this Jesus then is to be a people. When it comes to this Christian story of beauty, disappointment, and hope, we begin to be a people who are marked by an appreciation of the beauty that's all around us. We can see it in the people that we come across. We see it in the natural world. We cultivate and shape, and we are a people who can begin to, like Jesus, be healers, providers, calming the sea. That's just for a few of us, but anyhow, I'm just kidding. Um, But it's this way of living in the world and restoring beauty once again.